it. Um, if we can stand in honor of God's word, I'm going to read one verse, Acts 11:26, And it says this. Acts 11, 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Amen. Brother Alex, would you pray the Lord's blessing today? Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. All right. I just want to talk to you about what does it mean to be called a Christian? And they were called Christians. There are a lot of people that call themselves Christians, but are they really? Have you met people? I, I have my whole life. I grew up and I've met a lot of people that call themselves Christians, but I never would have guessed if they hadn't told me. I met some who have called themselves Christians that did not have the characteristics of Jesus Christ because Christian is to be like Jesus, and they didn't act like Jesus. Some of those people who have called themselves Christians have given Christianity a bad name. You would, they say, hey, we're Christian." But they do some very terrible things. And so I don't know if you've met those kind of people. I have. And I've heard other people say, if that person is a Christian, I want nothing to do with Christianity. They say, if, if that's what Christianity is, uh, you, know, that, you know, they can have it. And there are so-called Christians who lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery, fornication, curse and swear. Deadbeats, dishonest employees, and the list goes on and on and on. And usually those who are not Christian are not interested in what those individuals have to offer. I heard this one time that a few people, very few, have ever really encountered a true Christian. And when they do, it's a shock to them because they have really an encounter, encountered somebody who is a genuine, true Christian, one who is really like Jesus Christ. And when they are really like Jesus Christ, that gets people's attention. There are enough counterfeits out there who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And the Bible instructs us to turn away from such people. It actually instructs us to. I'm reminded of this story of the seven sons of Sceva. Anyone remember that story? It's in the book of Acts. Who was Sceva? We don't know much about him. We do know that he was a Jewish chief priest. And he had these seven sons. And these seven sons... Raised in church, I'm sure, and had a form of godliness. I'm sure they had a belief, but they were going around and trying to cast devils out. That's what they were trying to do. 
We can read about it in Acts chapter 19, verse 13. It says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying this. This is what they said. We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. These seven sons did this. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Right? So they had a form of godliness. Their, their dad was a, in the ministry. Just because you're a preacher's kid doesn't mean the evil spirits recognize who you are at all. And I was a preacher's kid, so I could say that. So the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Because of that, the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So what does it mean to be a Christian? They were called Christians first at Antioch. They, that's where they were first called Christians. Christians, I just wrote a few things down, are followers of Jesus Christ. Christians are those who follow after Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, there are some requirements in Scripture. Um, there's this one Scripture in John chapter 12, verse 26, where Jesus said this. He said, Whoever serves me must follow me. This is what Jesus said. My servants must be with me everywhere I am. So to be a follower of Jesus Christ, right, to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be with him everywhere he is. That's where I want to be. I want to be where he's at. He said, my father will give honor to anyone who serves me. I want to say that followers of Jesus Christ are imitators of him. They want to be like him. So Christians, I heard this. First time I heard this was from Brother Lee Stone King down in Visalia where I met my wife. And he was preaching and he said, Christ means the anointed one. Christians are the anointed ones. So I always think about that when I think about a Christian. So what were these Christians known as before they were called Christians? That first verse that we read, right, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, what were they known as? They were disciples. Disciples of Jesus Christ, that's students. So the word disciple actually means a learner, a pupil, a, a student. And these learners of Jesus Christ were called Christians. 
anyone here considers themselves to be a student? Right? So disciples were students. And Jesus was a rabbi, which is a teacher. And they even called him master, which is right because he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And he had disciples. Not just 12. He had many disciples. And you have, you know of the main 12 who he commissioned and sent. And at that point, they become apostles, which means to be sent. Right? So they were first disciples, students, and they became apostles. They were sent. But Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 and 30. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So Jesus wants us to learn of him. He says, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word learn, it means to learn, to be appraised, to increase one's knowledge. To learn of Jesus Christ is to increase your knowledge of him. You know something about Jesus Christ, but there's something more to know. Uh, It's to hear. It's to hear about him. It's to be informed. It's to learn by use and practice. It's to be in the habit of, accustomed to. So Jesus wants us to learn of him. A disciple is also one who has been in the presence of Jesus Christ, his disciple. You've been in his presence, and you've been influenced by his presence. Anyone just felt his presence? And you've been influenced by it. Acts chapter 4 Verse 13, I thought this was interesting. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Here's these guys without a formal education and unlearned. Not super smart, but they had been with Jesus. And being with Jesus, that rabbi, that great teacher, they had some boldness and they spoke with boldness. And I'm not super educated when it comes to theology, only just things I've studied on my own. And I don't have like master's degrees and, you know, all these doctorate degrees. And this at one time, especially recently, was just kind of bothersome. This was something that just was just kind of getting to me. I would hear people speak, and they were so intelligent, much more intelligent than I. And they could speak Greek and Hebrew, and they knew all the theological uh, things, and they knew all about all the ologies. You know, ology means to study. Theology means the study of God. There's biology and geology, the study of rocks and all that. But, you know, theology and Christology, the study of Jesus Christ. Pneumatology, the study of the spirit. And and you have soteriology, the study of salvation. All these ologies. One day I started listing all the ologies. I have them in my notebook. 
I started listing all the ologies that applied to our study, and there's a lot of them. Courses that you could take in Bible colleges that end in ology. And there's a lot of them. So I, I filled several pages. Some of the ologies I never, eschatology, which is the study of the end. It's the study of the book of Revelation. It's the study of Daniel. It's a, you know, some people, um, somebody was just asking me recently after this conference with Brother Redout, well, you don't re really ever teach on end time. I go, yeah, the, the actual terminology is eschatology. And there's a lot of different views of eschatology. But really, it all comes down to who Jesus is, even, at, even that study of eschatology. And so we learn of him. And I've been intimidated. But this verse gives me hope. This verse that we just read, that these apostles, they were unlearned and ignorant men, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And so maybe I may not have the greatest education when it comes to, like, Harvard and all these other big-name colleges, but I want others to know that I have been with Jesus, recognize something that I've been with him in his presence. That's what I believe me, what it means to be a Christian, one who spends time with him. And so uh, that was Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Many times when people ask us what kind of church we attend, we may say this. Has anyone ever said this? We are apostolic. I've said it. Apostolic means, you remember the 12 disciples who became 12 apostles, and they went and they preached and they taught? Apostolic means, this is how we interpret the word apostolic, is we teach and preach what the apostles taught and what they preached. The Catholic Church also says they're apostolic, but for a different reason. They say they're in the lineage of the apostles, and they have the power and the authority to establish doctrine. So apostolic in that way. And so their doctrines have changed over the years, and they don't even resemble the first century church at all now. It's very different. And so there's been this evolution and this change in doctrine. And so we say we're apostolic because we still adhere to the first century apostolic teachings of what the first century church taught. And so when we say that, and I've said it, I've said we're apostolic, and so there was a minister. I heard this story. Some of you may have heard this story as well. And he was getting towards the end of his life. And as he lay in that hospital bed, he was praying to the Lord. And he said, Lord, haven't I been apostolic? That's what he asked. And he felt that like the Lord told him, but I wanted you to be a Christian. And so we sometimes want to be just like the apostles. We want to go around and lay hands on the sick and they recover and go to the dead and say, I say unto thee, arise, and they rise up. And we have apostolic authority and apostolic power, just like the apostles did. Throughout the book of Acts, we've seen some amazing things. And he, you know, we read in Acts chapter 3, they came to the beautiful gate and they said, you know, the guy's sitting there saying, alms, alms. And he was lame at his feet. He couldn't walk. 
And they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? Rise up and walk. I don't have money to give you, but there's something I do have. And so in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he walking, leaping, you know, just embracing the apostles, he was so excited. He entered into the temple, praising God. And so have to have that apostolic authority. And some of us, that's what we, that's, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. In my younger years, that's what I wanted. I wanted apostolic authority. But now I'm thinking more about being like Jesus, more about being a Christian. And, you know, sometimes you pray for people and the miraculous does happen. Right, Brother Alex? The miraculous does happen. And all glory goes to God. And sometimes I've prayed with people and prayed for people and the miraculous happened and all glory goes to God. But I want to be like Jesus. Jesus prayed. And I think this is the Lord's prayer. A lot of people don't identify John chapter 17 as the Lord's prayer, but that is the Lord's prayer. The other one that people call the Lord's prayer is the model prayer. Because he said, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So he gave us that model on how we should pray. But when you actually see the Lord Jesus praying in John chapter 17, he prayed something that I think about in John chapter 17, verse 20. He said, neither pray I these for, alone, for these alone, not just these 12 that you've given me. I'm not praying just for these 12, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So I've always thought when I read that, I thought, you know what? I think Jesus is praying for me because I'm believing on the Lord Jesus Christ through the word of the apostles. We read the scriptures. We read it. And so I'm believing on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the word of the apostles. So the apostles preached Jesus everywhere they went. They weren't trying to get people to fall down and worship them but they were pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are people who worship the apostles. But we just worship Jesus. That's it. Acts chapter 14, look at this. Paul and Barnabas were at Lystra. Starting at verse 8, there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, In the speech of Lycaonia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. They were going to start worshiping Paul and Barnabas. They were going to have some sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas and worship them, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, 
Why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. And so even the apostles, when people tried to worship them, they're like, no, we're men just like you. We're trying to get you to turn from these and to worship him and serve the living God. I think that's apostolic. To point, Je to point people to Jesus Christ. To point men and women to Jesus Christ. So, Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? There are three verses in the New Testament where the word Christians or Christian is used. I re we read the first one. I'm going to read the second one. It's in Acts chapter 26, verse 28, when Paul is standing before Agrippa. And it says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul had a very convincing speech, I think. And it was so convincing that Agrippa said, I'm almost persuaded. You almost got me. Can you imagine standing in the judgment and realizing how close you were to being persuaded? Almost, but not quite. What was the thing that held you back? Is that thing, whatever it might be, is it worth it? I do not want to look back with regret and say, I was almost persuaded. I don't want that to be my story. I've spoken with people who have made mistakes even after they had been warned. And I heard them say this, even to me, I wish I would have listened. You, you almost persuaded me. I had somebody tell me that one time. Man, you almost convinced me. You almost persuaded me. And I wish I would have listened more. And one person even uh, told me that uh, this, I wish you could have knocked me some sense into me. And now I have to live with the consequences of this mistake. Somebody actually told me that. I wish you would have knocked some sense into me. Couldn't you have been more persuasive? Now it's my fault. Because I wasn't persuasive enough. Almost, but not quite. Has anyone here, have you ever tried to persuade somebody to be a Christian? I have. How successful were you? Do you feel that it is possible for you to persuade somebody to be a Christian? Why would anyone want to be a Christian? Why do I even want to be a Christian? I'm reminded of this verse, and it's addressed to the wives that had unbelieving husbands. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse 1. It says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. I had my Bible program opened up, and I was looking at this verse, and it was worded differently. And I was like, what, what is going on? And then I saw down in the bottom, the version was the ERV, which stands for the easy-to-read version. 
So I'm going to read what it said from the ERV. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 from the ERV says, In the same way you wives should be willing to serve your husbands, then even those who have refused to accept God's teaching will be persuaded to believe because of the way you live. You will not need to say anything. Your husbands will see the pure lives that you live with respect for God. Without even saying a word, your lives can be the persuasion, just that, just living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone who is persuaded is one who trusts, and I have found that that there, was no, there is no one as trustworthy as the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm persuaded because I've learned to trust him. I've been in some situations, you guys have all been in situations too, where somebody has violated my trust. Even people that I thought I could trust, but he's never violated my trust. Not even once. Someone who is persuaded is one who has confidence. I've been let down by people in my life, but never by the Lord Jesus Christ. There was times I was upset with him because I didn't like what his rule book had to say. Why do I have to do that? But I have learned to have confidence in him. He's the same. He never changes. I can have that confidence in him. Someone who is persuaded is one who will obey. I'm fully persuaded. So when he says you need to do this, I, I'm persuaded that he's right. He's never wrong. I'm really convinced of it. And so I, I'm going to have to obey. I am persuaded that Jesus Christ is Lord, that his way is the best way. I'm really persuaded of that. I'm convinced of it. I have, I have learned by experience that he's not wrong. I have learned there's a certain rule in the word of God that's there for a reason. It's there. He's not trying to withhold anything good from us. Did you know that? He's not his desire to withhold anything good from us. It's his desire to give you the kingdom. We have scriptures that say that. And so he... When he says it, I'm persuaded he wants what's best for me. So obeying him is something I want to do. Someone who is persuaded is one who believes, and we know that biblical definition, right? Believing is what? Faith plus works. Okay, good. Someone who is persuaded is someone who yields. Someone who gives in. Yielding your rights. Because you have been persuaded that he is right. And he said, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Well, I don't want that to be the case. I don't want to be almost persuaded. I want to be fully persuaded. And then there's one more verse, that third verse, that talks about Christians and the word Christian. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Now, this one's not uh, too pleasant. But it says, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Now, I can't speak for you guys. I could just speak for myself. 
I haven't suffered too much, I don't think, because I was a Christian. Not yet. If I lived in some other countries where Christianity was illegal, then I probably would be suffering. But I have not, uh, no one's ever, you know, put me in prison or locked me up because I was a Christian. And so this is something I'd never wanted to do. I never wanted to suffer. Anybody else here? You probably don't want to suffer either. And this is one of the things that probably held me back for many years is the idea that I could or would suffer as a Christian. And that, of course, he would take pleasure in sending me to do something I really didn't want to do. God would probably send me to some country where, you know, they kill Christians. You know, that's what I thought when I was younger. I was scared to death. I don't want to have trials or tribulations, distresses. I don't want to have to die because I'm a Christian. I'm a, just a big chicken. I don't like pain. I don't like suffering. You guys know that I have never broken a bone in my life. Oh, man. I just said that out loud. <laughs> I haven't been in the hospital all that much. I hate the idea of pain. <laughs> I like being comfortable. I love being comfortable. And I get grumpy when I'm not comfortable. But there have been those who have suffered tremendously and even died because of this faith. And those stories used to frighten me. And this verse says, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So those three verses, Acts eleven twenty six, which talks about the disciples who were first called Christians at Antioch. And then that second one in Acts 26, 28, where Agrippa told Paul that he was almost persuaded to be a Christian. And then 1 Peter 4, 16 tells us to glorify God if we suffer as a Christian. Has anybody here studied the life of Jesus Christ intensely? Have you followed him so closely or imitated him so much that others would accuse you of being a Christian without even saying it? Others calling you a Christian. We don't know. They were called Christians. Why? What were they doing in Antioch that other people said, you must be a, we're going to just call you Christians because you're like him. What did they do? And I had this thinking when I was a teenager. I would never tell anybody I was a Christian. I had this mindset, I refuse to tell anybody I'm a Christian because that would be me saying I'm like Jesus. Instead, I would wait for people to say, <clears throat> and this happened to me in one of my first jobs. Uh, foreman came up to me and says, by chance, do you happen to be a Christian? And I said, well, that's what I strive to be to be like him. And he said, I notice you never cuss. I notice you're never late for work. I notice that you're never, uh, never have a hangover. And he's just like going through this list. 
And I thought, man, to be able to be recognized when somebody says, are you a Christian by chance? What does it mean to be a Christian? Getting to the place where you are called a Christian, it's a process. There's a process of growth because not everyone who comes to church is perfect. Not everyone that comes to church has lived a flawless life. In fact, some of them have <laughs> they got a, a trail of a lot of damage behind them. So there is a process. And John Bunyan wrote a, a story called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory, if anyone's read it, of a young man named Christian and his journey to the celestial city. And on the way, he encounters trials, tribulations, temptations. And I remember as a boy reading that, and, and he had some really nice people, you know. <laughs> and, you know, they came and they tried to persuade him to do something that wasn't right. And I was thinking, if I'm Christian, I'm probably doing that wrong thing. They seem so nice and inviting. That's what I was thinking as a boy. I'm like, I'm a, I would I'm not a good Christian. Because <laughs> I would totally give in, right? It's, that's why the Bible calls it the pleasures of sin. But they only last for a season. And then after that comes shame and guilt. And the enemy has a way of just making you feel so ashamed and guilty. Look at all these mistakes you've made in your life. So it's a process. You could be fully convinced that you want to be a Christian. Then you mess up. Then you fail. You do something you know you should not do. The thing you have to do is get up, not stay down. The Bible says an upright man may fall seven times, but he will get back up again. That says that in Proverbs 24, 16. Says for an upright man after falling seven times, even the upright man falls down. He gets up and that eighth time he said, you know what, I'm not going to stay down. I've messed up. I wasn't planning on messing up, but I did make a mistake. But I got back up. And then he stands. There may be times that I fall, but I don't want to stay down. Micah chapter 7, verse 8 says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall. It doesn't say if I fall. He's saying, you know, I probably am going to fall. I'm probably going to mess up. I'm probably not going to be perfect. But when I do, I'm going to get back up. I don't plan on staying down. I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I don't know if anybody remembers hearing this a few years ago. There was that woman, in, I think in Kentucky, where somebody came in, same-sex marriage, and she said it violated her conscience, and so she wasn't going to give them a marriage license. This lady was apostolic. And so she was brand new in the church. And so what the media started doing, they started going through and pulling up all the junk from her past, saying, look it, here's this woman saying her conscience is violated, but look what she did here. Look what she did there. Look at all these mistakes. And I thought, that's what's so great about Christianity is anybody, no matter how bad you've been in the past, can make up their mind today that, you know what, I don't want to be that anymore. I want to be a Christian. Amen. So if we went based upon uh, mistakes, 
then probably none of us here could be a Christian. But Jesus has the way to make our lives right. I was so excited as a little boy when I would see people come into the church and I would see, you know, many times, you know, addictions and brokenness. And and it was like just like, you know, what you you, you've heard, you know, it's like listen to that country song backwards. God gave them back their house. God gave them back their wife. God gave them back their dog. And I would say, man, this is really good. God's doing great things. You know, they came back to church and they listened to that country song backwards. And they're getting God knows how to restore. So I was convinced as a young person that being a Christian was the best thing for anybody and everybody. And so Romans 8.29 says, for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. It is a process. We're not going to look like Jesus overnight. But in this process, in this journey, uh, to be a Christian, I mean, I thought it was so great when somebody said, do you happen to be a Christian? I'm like, okay. All right. The things I'm trying to do, people are starting to recognize that I'm trying to be like him. Even though I'm not, I haven't arrived I haven't arrived, but this process of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ and so that people can say, I think you're a Christian. You must be a Christian. That's the ultimate goal. And as newborn babes, maybe we haven't arrived. Maybe we haven't got to that place of maturity. Maybe we don't recognize the voice of the shepherd just yet. Jesus did say, my sheep hear my voice and they know it. They hear my voice. And some people say, well, I just don't know what his voice is. Don't worry. It didn't say the lambs, the brand new babies know the voice of the shepherd. But as you grow and you become like that sheep and you mature, then you start recognizing his voice. You've been in it long enough and you would say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be persuaded by any other voice, but I hear the voice of the shepherd, the good shepherd, and I recognize his voice. So what does it mean to be a Christian? I want to challenge you today to be a Christian, to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may mess up, you may fall, but there's hope. Get back up. Amen. Amen. Let's just take a few moments and let's worship this Jesus that we serve. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. You know who the harshest critic, critics are, don't you? <laughs> yeah, right? But some of the harshest critics we have are those outside the church. And they'll say, and you call yourself a Christian. And you did that. I, well, I thought you were a Christian. 
But those of us inside the church know that we're all just people, that we're human, we've made mistakes, and so we're merciful. When we see somebody mess up, we just love them anyway. When we see somebody make a mistake, we love them anyway. And so that lady who was getting a lot of criticism from those outside the church, I'm thinking, you know what? I've made mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes. So I could be merciful. Amen. Aren't you thankful for his mercy? Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Praise God. Brother Michael, can you come up here? I love this guy. He didn't do anything? You didn't do anything? Well, there's a scripture in James chapter 4. It says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. <laughs> I think that's James 4.17. I'm going to have you, uh, Brother Michael uh, pray, and we're going to have some good fellowship and pray for the food and pray for our time together. Amen. Love this guy. Father, um, we thank you for this time that we've had to see learn to be a Christian. Um, thank you that this church and this family and this, this community, Lord, our family. Um, we ask that you uh, bless this food, bless this time, and uh, just um, we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs>